You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We're going to continue our series. Actually, we're going to finish up our series, Closer to God. And we said that this series uh, would uh, lead us on this journey. And and along the way, like if you're playing in a role-playing game online or on your computer, as you're going along, and and picture Jumanji, like everybody's seen at least one of the Jumanji versions, right? Most everybody? Yeah, so at the end of this journey, we we don't yell Jumanji three times because we'll just be face-to-face with Jesus and that'll be glorious. Um, it's a different ending. But, but as we're going along, you, get, you pick up these tools that help you on your journey. And so we just, we want this series to provide different tools and for your journey towards being closer to God. And guess what? If you desire to be closer to him, he also desires to be closer to you. In fact, it says that uh, his he, he jealously desires a spirit they put inside of you. And today I want to talk about how can we experience closeness to God when we come together for corporate worship? How does that happen? How does that happen? Because sometimes I can feel really close to God when I'm up on top of a mountain looking down across all of creation and, and seeing how vast the creation that I could even just see and just like, I see how tiny I am compared to just the portion I can look at or, or when I'm at the ocean and I'm seeing the waves crashing in or, or I could feel closer to God when I'm reading my scriptures and I, and I connect with something that he says and, and the Holy Spirit moves inside of me and, 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 and words that I've read a thousand times over, they say something new to me because the scriptures are living and they're, and they're active, right? Uh, sometimes I can feel closer to God when a worship song comes out and it just, it says something that I've never heard before or it reminds me of something or, or this morning listening to uh, a great old hymn with a little different uh, arrangement uh, by Switchfoot, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And I worshiped to that great song. But what about when we come in here and there's other people in the room and there's things going on and what what does that look like? There are a range of ideas of, of how to approach worship. Have you ever noticed that? Have you have you gone to different churches and you're like, oh, this is different? Uh, because my military background, I've been to some uh, all, all kinds of experiences. And then, and then as a kid, when I didn't have my own church and I was really just kind of meandering in life, uh, aimlessly, spiritually, especially, I would go to different churches. I've, I've been to a Catholic churches. I've been to Lutheran churches. I've been to, um, you know, Black Southern Baptist 
I've been to all kinds of experiences, lots of different experiences. Uh, the, the range of experiences can be seen here. These are all worshipers of the same God. All, all worshipers of the same God. You have um, Judaism, which is represented, uh, this is probably, uh, he's probably Hasidic there on the left. And then you have the high church. This is probably a Roman Catholic picture. And then you have the one and only Logan Daly leading worship for a bunch of high schoolers, middle schoolers, middle school. Yeah. You have uh, from rigid to informal. You have, you have those who follow 613 laws when it comes to worship and their, and, and, and their idea of worship is very structured. Uh, they, have, uh, they have a book that they follow that's called a Seder, that's, which means order. So 613 laws to the lawless wild west. <laughs> You know, um, you, you also have this, the, we try to be very accessible, right? At, at this kid's camp, um, probably didn't, probably not one of them showered. They probably all needed it, but not one of them showered. Um, they, they, how many of them were wearing socks? You know, who, who knows? Um, their mom probably got them home like, you didn't wear underwear. What were you doing <laughs> all week long? Like, we try to be accessible, right? On this end of the spectrum, we try to be accessible. We, we're probably the most accessible when someone comes walking through the door. Uh, it, as far as ex- worship experiences, we are probably the most accessible. And this may be down at this end, the least accessible, right? The Hasidic Judaism, like to, to get become a Hasidic Jew, like that is a daunting task, to worship with us this morning, you could walk through the door and we're accessible, right? I wonder though, when, when we don't have 613 laws, what guides us? What defines what worship should be like for us? And so I want to look at that a little bit today. And, and we're going to start in John chapter four. We'll start with Jesus. I always thought it's always good to start with Jesus, right? Uh, he says this, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now Jesus is 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 saying something that's revolutionary here because within Judaism at that time there was a limited experience when it came to the Holy Spirit. Like look at the look at the Old Testament. Count the number of times you see the Holy Spirit actually uh entering someone and, and, and being part of their experience, especially when it came to worship. 
It's a, it's a limited number. And yet we're told in Acts chapter 2 that we should repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and that we would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when Pentecost took place, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we started this series talking about the Holy Spirit and how our closeness with God is first and foremost, it takes place through the agency of the Holy Spirit. He comes in. And, and, and I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if we're really worshiping if we have not said yes to Christ. We may be doing a lot of different things. But we, and if you're at the Catholic church and you haven't received Christ, you're just doing calisthenics, right? You're standing up, you're sitting down, you're, you, know, you don't know what you're doing. You're totally lost. Um, and so we need the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm not talking about mysticism. I'm not talking about, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel churches go maybe too far. And I'm not here to judge what another church does because I'm not even there to even really notice. But, but sometimes some, some people look down on you for, well, some of us have had experience being looked down on because your church has, has an instrument, right? Uh, some churches look look down on you for, for actually having an order of service, for writing it down, forgetting that administration is actually a spiritual gift. You know, so like the Lord has gifted Logan with administration. Yeah. <laughs> you may not feel like it today, but... <laughs> um, and so... We're not talking about mysticism here, but the Holy Spirit needs to be part of the equation. And, and, and we also have to remember that this conversation, conversation that Jesus is having in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, the question is, where do we have to worship? Where do we have to worship? If we go back to that picture of... Uh, the three gentlemen. I want to say this. I think all three of these gentlemen on, in this picture are actually worshiping. I'm not here to judge what other people do. Uh, the scripture tells us not to judge another person's servant. And so I'm not here to say, well, we're better off because, you know, we could wear flip-flops instead of whatever this is, um, here in the center. I'm not here to judge, but, but, the, but the question be, became in John chapter four, should we worship here on this mountain? Because we have connection through Abraham and Abraham's well, or do we have to worship on that mountain? And Jesus says, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to be the difference maker, which is good news because we don't have the temple anymore. Have you noticed that? There's no temple to go back to. So we need to worship in the spirit, but also in truth. And I think that balances the conversation of 
a bit for us. And, and, that's the, and that's what I want to focus in on today is what kinds of truths should guide us when it comes to our worship? What kind of truths should guide us? And, and they're found throughout the scriptures. In, in Ecclesiastes 5.1, it says, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. And draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Wow. All right. Bring out the big guns, right? <laughs> Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen. Two, two things. Two things we're told here. We're to, we're to guard our steps. And when we come in, we are to draw near to listen. I want to to show you this picture. This is a picture of the southern steps that lead up to the Temple Mount. As far as I know, these are the same steps that were there 2,000 years ago. Much of, if you go to Israel, if you go to the old city, much of what was there at the time of Jesus is still there. It's amazing. We get really excited if we have a hundred-year-old home. Like, wow, this is so old. Um, okay, Jesus didn't walk there, though. That's <laughs> if you notice, and it's kind of hard to tell, but maybe you can if you, if you really focus in. These steps are of different depth and different height. Do we have any carpenters in the room? Would you want to do that? Would you do that in your, you know, descent to your basement? No, I, I've, have you ever walked down a set of stairs and, and the last step was not the same depth as all the others and you end up jarring your back because your body's not ready for, because you mindlessly walked down the steps. Do you know what they did? They purposefully designed these steps so that you had to pay attention, so that you had to guard your steps as you walked into the temple. How does that compare to our experience coming here this morning? I did trip over a crack last week, but that was my... (laughs) gracelessness. <laughs> you know, I think in terms of the meme where it said, sorry, I'm, I'm late to work, uh, but traffic was horrible. And then the next picture is, is the, uh, the line to Starbucks, the, the drive-through line for Starbucks. I'm, you know, guys, I could have made it to church on time, but Man, was Starbucks full (laughs) this morning. How intentional are you you when you head towards worship at Mission Ridge? Because here's the truth. We are to enter with intentionality, enter worship with intentionality, and come ready to hear from God. This is a truth that should guide us 
in our worship. This is the truth that should guide us. And that can that could be the way that you you pray uh, in the morning. Maybe maybe Sundays you you have a different prayer time than than you do any other day of the week. It could be the way you dress. I know uh, the older generation uh, has that was their tendency. They would they would dress up on Sunday. Um, our generation dresses down on Sunday. Um, nothing wrong with that, but are you, are you entering into worship with intentionality? That's the question. Do you listen to a different song set on your way into Sunday service? What can you do to intentionally into worship? And then we need to come ready to listen because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah says this clearly. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. And every time I come to this passage, I'm like, Lord, you are 100% correct. And I need to adopt your ways and I need to adopt your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so one of the ways that we, we come in intentionally is, is we're ready to hear and we're hoping to hear from God. Which is, which is why we start off with, with the director prayer where we have, you know, in between the, our, our worship and, and, and the sermon so that we can connect personally with the Lord. And we could set our hearts, like we're tuning our hearts to the right station, the right radio station. We're setting ourselves up for that. So that's, that's truth number one. The second truth comes out of Deuteronomy 26. And, and um, Deuteronomy 26 talks about how the Israelites were to offer their first fruits offering. Now, I'll tell you what, I tithe a lot of years before I ever heard this passage. I tithe uh, probably 20 years, maybe 25 years before I ever heard this passage. Uh, let me just read it to you. You shall go to the priest who is in the office at the time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered a land which the Lord swore to our father to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. So you, you have your harvest, you have your first fruits, and before you, you figure out what, what you're going to do with the rest of that harvest, you take your first fruit to this celebration but when you get there, there's, this, there's things that you're, you're to declare to the Lord. And it goes on further. You shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there. Few in number, but there he became a great and mighty and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed, and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard 
our voice and saw affliction and our toil and our impression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with outstretched arms and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce to the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you should set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And the the truth is this. When you give an offering, remember how God saved you. We we have different ways of tithing, right? Some of us write checks, mostly Logan and Gordon. Uh, Some of us write checks. Some of us, when we get the paycheck, we get the notification in our bank account that, yep, paycheck landed. We grab our phones and we, you know, type in our tithe and we hit send. And, and some of us, we set up a recurring transaction. And as long as there's money in the, in the account, we don't really think about it. I never, for 25 years, I tithed without saying to anybody, the Lord saved me. He saved my dad. He saved my mom. And then he saved my, my brother. And he has completely redeemed my life ever since. And if I didn't, have, if I didn't know him yesterday, I would need a savior today. I have never said that to anybody when I dropped my check in in the box or I typed up my tithe on my phone. But we should remember, we should talk about what Jesus has done in our lives. And we should connect that to why we tithe and how we tithe. So that's truth number two. We find our third truth in Matthew 5. Jesus says this, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Now some context for this story. Uh, Most people did not live in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, most of the people that, that Jesus was ministering to and, and, he's, and he's giving this sermon in Galilee. And so for these folks, the Galileans, they would travel for days. They would caravan for these feasts to bring their offering to the Lord. And they were to worship as they, as they went. There were certain psalms that they would, would recite or sing. And this was the process. So, so imagine my mom, my dad, my brother and I heading, heading to the temple. And this, would, and this would be multiple generations 
going along. And I don't know how your family works, um, but my family has been, was chaotic more often than it's not. Like God has really redeemed us. And my brother is one of my best friends today, but that wasn't always the case. And you put my brother and I in close proximity for that many days and sparks are going to fly. So this is the backdrop to what this story that Jesus, this parable that Jesus is telling. And the truth is this, your worship includes how you treat people on your way to worship. Your worship includes how you treat your wife on the way to worship, if you're a husband. It works the other way too. I'll just talk. (laughs) How you treat your children. (laughs) How good are you at this movement? (laughs) Um, How you treat the attendant at the gas station. how you treat people is connected to your worship. And and Jesus says, until you get the relationship part right on the way there, you really can't get the offering part right once you're there. Your worship includes how you treat people on your way. My parents walked away from the church when they turned 18 because of the problems they saw within their families. They saw the arguments between mom and dad all the way, all the way to church for my dad, or the arguments between mom and other siblings all the way to church. Their worship wasn't changing their relationships. And because of that, my parents walked away from the church. Now, My parents had resentment that they were dealing with. They had their own sin that they were dealing with. There were things that they had to answer for in that too. It wasn't like that's all on grandma and grandpa. But until we get to the point where our relationships are, are redeemed, God has more work to do in our lives. And we need to allow that. And I think that's the point of this particular teaching here. And so that is truth number three. Our fourth truth comes out of Luke 18. Jesus says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. In verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven and was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, this man 
went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, the truth is, unless you come humbly, your expressions of worship will be meaningless. We can't come to God self-justified. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Because when we come to God self-justified, well, I'll tell you what, when we take that time of confession, I'm convinced I'm probably not confessing everything. Right? And, and, and I'm quite serious when I say that if I, if I didn't know Jesus today, if I had never met him, God, God has changed a ton about my character, who I am, how I approach people, how I approach life. He's changed a ton of me. But I'm in desperate need of a sinner today, of a, of a savior. I'm in desperate need of a savior today. And we have to know that. That is humility. We can't come in here looking at someone that's different from us. If we go back to that original picture, I would never dress like this guy on the right. I'm not that cool. I can't judge any of these guys. They need a savior. I need a savior. That's our reality. By the way, in this parable, who does Jesus say is showing off? See, I've seen people say nothing and I could tell that they had a haughty heart. And I've seen people say nothing and I could tell they had a humble heart. And I'm not the judge. So if I can tell, guess what? I bet God can tell. And he can tell even when I can't. I've seen people worship with their hands raised. And, some, and, and a lot of times, like, I've seen people like that. And I'm like, yep, that's a humble heart. I've also seen people with the external, you know, for everybody to see. And it was a haughty heart. So I've seen it go both ways. I know our Lord has too. Guys, it's what's going on in our heart that really matters, right? Well, that leads us to 1 Corinthians 11. That leads us to communion. Uh, Paul tells us the most about communion and, and what it's about. Our uh, this conversation about communion comes out of a, a problem within the church. We have to understand the context first and foremost. And the context of this story in, in 1 Corinthians 11 is that the people were taking their guild feast practices. These were Gentiles like you and I, redeemed. They were taking their guild feast practices and, and implementing them 
into their worship. So they were getting drunk. They're eating to access. Because that's what culture said, this is how you worship. This is how you celebrate. And so, in what way, shape, or form do we have a tendency to take what we do within culture and apply it to our worship and it's out of balance? That's the question that 1 Corinthians 11 really invites us to, to wrestle with. But there's some implications today that, that connect to what we've already talked about. So Paul says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You probably have heard that a few times around here. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he returns. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So again, the first thing we have to recognize is what he's talking about is the way they were incorporating their guild feast celebrations, their, their pagan feast celebrations into the way they approached communion. And, and, and probably the Seder meal. We have a tendency to celebrate communion on a, on a weekly basis. They probably celebrated communion annually. I don't think one's better than the other. It's just their experience, all right? Verse 28, but a man must examine himself and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And I, and I, and I think there in verse 29, he's saying, how are we functioning as a people? That body, not here, within my body, but how am I functioning as part of the body? Am I, am I so gluttonous that other people can't even partake? Am I getting in the way of other people worshiping in, in some way, shape, or form? Am I hindering their worship experience because of my excess, because of my conceit, because of my, my whatever? For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, he would not be judged. We would not be judged. But when we are judged, when God chooses to judge, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we would not be condemned along with the world. In other words, church, sometimes, sometimes when we're out of bounds, God's going God's to gonna try to get our attention. He's going to try to get our attention so that we could get back on track because he loves us so much. We take communion, a visible act, 
It's an act that other people within the room can see, right? To reflect the commitment to our communion with Christ, our individual communion that says, he is Lord and I'm not. I serve him and not the other way around. This is his agenda. It's not my agenda. It's his kingdom. I'm not the king. He sits on the throne. I'm the servant. We take communion as a visible act to reflect what's going on internal, internal to us. Right? And I think the, the, the four truths that we talked about, you know, do we, that we're coming intentionally, that we, we're coming here to listen, that, that, uh, that we remember how God saved us, that, we, that, we, that we're treating people well on our way to worship, that we're, that we're humble, that we're not judging other people in the room. When we take communion, those other truths that we talked about need to be true of us in that moment. And if it's not, your sincerest act of worship may be to not take communion that day. If there's a conflict between you and your spouse and, and you just you can't get past it, and, and you slam the car door shut and, and walked into the church, and she was 10 steps behind. I've done that before. And people are handing out communion. And you're, are you going to take that at that moment to say, yep, I'm honoring God. I have communion with the Lord. your sincerest act of worship may be to refrain from taking communion until you set those things right. And so these are just some guidelines and, and they're not, they're not all, all the things that the scriptures tell us, but everything that the scriptures tell us, we don't have 613 laws that define things for us as far as eh, has to be. Don't miss. But there's truths there within those 613 laws. There's not a, not a, a word within the scripture that is misplaced or misspoken. It's there for our benefit. We need it. It teaches us. It instructs us. It's light to our path. And so these are just five truths that we want to highlight today. Ways that we can experience closeness with God. We're going to pass out communion and uh, I want you to reflect. I want you to reflect on how close are you to God? How's your experience of of, of closeness with the Lord during this time. What's that like? What, what's working well? What's, what's, what's getting in the way? Let's take a time to reflect on that. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message.
Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.